Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Hello, leaders. Welcome to episode 47 of The Leadership Window. I am Patrick Jinks, leadership and strategy coach and president of The Jinx Perspective. And we have a first here on the podcast today. And the first is that we have multiple. No, it's not a first. Ooh, I just remembered that. Okay, this is a first, though. Um, I thought that this was the first time we'd had three guests on the show at one time, but it's not. We had um, we did that before with Grace Ann and uh, some some other uh, Blue Ridge Institute people that these ladies that are on the show today know very well. However, this is a first in that it's the first time we've had two people in the so-called studio right here with us. We have, uh, let me make these introductions quick because we have a lot of content to cover. We have, first of all, joining us uh, virtually, we have Andrea Smith, who is the CEO of Senior Action in Greenville, South Carolina. And by the way, uh, all, all four of us on this program are members of an organization called the Blue Ridge Institute. We've had a couple of programs about that before, but if you have questions about the Blue Ridge Institute, and if you're a nonprofit leader, you should have questions about it. And we've got the answers for you. But uh, Andrea Smith is here. Lila Anna Sauls is CEO of an organization here in uh, the Midlands of South Carolina called Homeless No More. And Trisha Richardson, who has been on the program not too long ago, talking about leading internally and externally. Trisha is the CEO of a statewide network of nonprofits and and uh, service providers for people needing all kinds of things throughout the state an organization called SC Thrive. Uh, I've done a good bit of work with all of these ladies and know them very well and have been super excited about getting them on this show because they are cream of the crop and you're about to find out why and you're about to find out some of the things that they're doing that make them so. So let me, uh, first of all, let me just say, hello, ladies, welcome. Hi. Hey, hey Patrick. <laughs> so good to be here. Uh, it is, this is really awesome. And, uh, thank you all for carving out time for this. Uh, so this show is, is a show about leadership, but through a social sector lens. And sometimes we have people on the show that have, are not that engaged in the social sector. They're, uh, maybe leadership coaches, consultants. We've had John Maxwell coaches. We've had filmmakers on the program. Most of the time, the program is really about what's going on in the nonprofit sector, through the lens of leadership. And uh, of course, that's what we do here at the Jinx Perspective. So I could not find uh, three more competent leaders than what you've uh, got here to listen to today. So let, let me start, Andrea, we're gonna start with you and just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Senior Action. Uh, maybe just, you know, kind of how long you've been there, what Senior Action is all about. And, uh, you know, you're, you're at dinner with someone kind of telling us about your organization. Let's get caught up on what these organizations are all about. And we'll start with you, Andrea. Sure. Um, thanks for having me today, Patrick. Um, uh, my, so my name is Andrea Smith. I have been in the nonprofit sector for a little while now. <laughs> um, I have a background in community research and development and um, led me to the organization where I am about 14 years ago. 
Um, Senior Action is a nonprofit that provides a variety of programs and services for seniors, um, anybody 50 and up, which is a wide range of people, quite frankly, which kind of creates its own challenges um, because of the different needs of people from that age group. Uh, but we have nine centers in the Greenville County um, area, and um, we provide everything from activities that it focus on health and wellness, um, the arts, um, travel, volunteerism, you know, anything that you can possibly imagine that keeps people engaged and active. We also have a variety of services like we serve lunch every day. We have medical transportation. We own an apartment complex. We have... Um, a lawn service that helps people maintain their lawns, which, by the way, is one of the number one reasons why people sometimes have to be moved into an assisted living because they can't maintain mm-hmm. their yard. And so we've been doing that in Greenville for about 54 years. Wow. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. So I'm wondering a couple of things. Uh, I'm having trouble keeping up in my yard. I might have to move into assisted. <laughs> you know, no, what gets me, Andrea, is you, you said that anyone 50 and up, and you're talking about senior action. I'm going, wow. Has that number like been lowered over the years? We used to think seniors, we, I would think like 65, seven. Now it's 50. You're Has that dating, changed? You're dating yourself. I yes. know I yeah. am. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's always been 50. I think what's changed is that people are not seeing themselves as a senior at the age of 50 anymore. Mm-hmm. So our perceptions of our own health uh, has improved and you know, the health of seniors in general has improved dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, there, people are living longer and not only living longer, but living healthier longer. So I think years ago when you thought about a 55-year-old or a 50-year-old, and they were getting much more close to retirement. People used to regularly retire at 16, 65. Uh, in Greenville, for instance, we have about 25% of our 70-year-olds are still still working full-time. So um, I think just uh, people are changing. Uh, mm. the age, age hasn't changed, but uh, people are definitely changing. Hmm. Fascinating. Awesome. Thank you. I'm sure we'll learn more here in just a second. Lila, Anna. Tell us about homeless no more after you quit making faces and I'm laughing going, should I start by how old I am? <laughs> um, like I could go to the upstate and Andrea could provide services for me. No. Um, so um, I'm Lila Anna Sauls and I am uh, the leader of an incredible team, which is what it, my mantra is um, at homeless no more. And we provide a continuum of care for at risk and homeless families uh, throughout the Midlands. And what that looks like is if you can um, imagine steps, step one, we have an emergency shelter, which is 30 days dorm style, basic needs, case management. Step two is a transitional shelter where families can stay with us for uh, two years, Um, more intensive life skill programming. Step three is affordable housing. And what that looks like is, is we develop um, affordable housing from the ground up um, because everyone knows it's a a huge shortage nationally, much less in the Midlands. Um, uh, We have wraparound services that include after school programming, summer camp programming for the kids, um, life skills for the adults. Um, and then uh, I get the chance to advocate um, on the state and uh, national level um, because we, we know that to stop um, a lot of the issues we're seeing, some systems need to be changed. So, you know, we are on the ground providing services, but then we are in front of Congress people reminding them um, we need to, we need to change some rules. Mm. What's been interesting about your work and I've followed it fairly closely over the last just several years is 
I think when people hear homeless and they, they hear about a nonprofit helping the homeless, the stage one that you just described is what comes to mind, right? It, the shelter, exactly. like I need a place to, to spend the night, you know, it's cold outside and I need a meal and a, and a shelter. And you have moved through that entire continuum now and realizing we do need that. There's a place for that, but we don't want it to stop there because that doesn't change the game. No. And the interesting part about our continuum is you can come in at any step. So you could, in theory, be a teacher with two children and qualify for affordable housing, whereas you truly are homeless and in a car with family shelter. Um, and what we have, have said for years is, you know, families are the hidden homeless. The numbers you hear, the counts you hear, the, the, the stereotypes are your men and women on Main Street. And the fact of the matter is, is that families aren't counted because they fear for losing their children. And, you know, part of our job is the outreach to make them comfortable enough to come into the system and um, and really we're the safety net. We're the stability they need and a guide to the next step. Exactly. Yeah. To a better place. Fantastic. And Tricia, you were on just a few weeks ago. So a lot of our listeners are kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember her. But tell us about your organization. Um, on, my name is Trisha Richardson, and I'm just sitting here in awe of um, Lila Anna and um, what she does, because I've known her from before I started working with SE Thrive. So I got the opportunity to see the work for the last 11 years, which has been beautiful. But I get to lead a team of amazing people as well, but I also get to work with amazing leaders across the state. And that's been the benefit of working with SC Thrive. So we help people navigate complex resources, and that includes SNAP, Medicaid taxes, um, WellVista, a variety of things. But we do that through mainly physical, financial, and mental health. That's kind of the modes or the steps that we use. And we do that also by uh, filling in gaps. So we advocate on a state behalf, on policy to the actual state providers, but at the same time, we if there's gap in Lee County, then we're gonna send somebody to Lee County to help fill that gap until another nonprofit who has expertise can do that. So we work with over 400 partners across the state and um, we're excited to be part of this. I thought about you yesterday, we were, um, I was in Greenville with the staff of uh, Habitat for Humanity in Greenville. And I think m many, if not all of you know Monroe Free. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about uh, people who need help. And in their case, so the process of getting into the, will you build me a home is overwhelming for people. They don't know what, oh, I, I gotta jump through this hoop and that, and I wouldn't know the first thing about this or that or the other. You just mentioned a complex network of resources that the people who would need them, they're overwhelmed by all that they need and where they don't know where to start or what to do. And what impresses me about you is that you make it simple for them. You you give them a door they can actually walk through and then you'll take care of the complexity and everything for them because you know kind of where they need and how, where to point them. Absolutely. And I'll be honest, I do that for me. I make it simple <laughs> for me so that I can understand it so that I can share that information with people so that it can seem less daunting for them. But mm. my whole staff does that. They're pretty amazing. Mm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So. I, we could spend a couple of hours just getting to know more about what each of you do and why it's important, uh, but let's spend a little bit of time doing that through the lens of growth. The reason that I invited all three of you on the program today is because, because I know you and happen to know that all three of you have recently undergone expansion. And by expansion, we are specifically talking about capital expansion, which means you've spent 
you've spent big resources on big stuff, a building, a, a, you know, a system, a network, whatever that is. And that's, that's hard to do in the business world. It's certainly hard to do in the nonprofit world, particularly when I would say probably any of us that got into the nonprofit world to begin with, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but we don't come into this with the expertise of real estate and building and capital expenses and all the hoot and zoning <laughs> yeah. and all these different things. Uh, and, and even raising capital funds, you know, when we first come into this work, that that's a whole different thing from just the regular fundraising that nonprofits do on a regular basis. So my, my thought is I'm so impressed with what all three of you have recently done and just continue to do to grow your organization's impact that I, I thought it would be good to have a conversation about how, how do you do that? <laughs> like, how do you do this? Um, and I think a lot of our listeners would love to hear your perspective on that because, you know, we, you know, this, most of the nonprofits in the sector struggle to survive and uh, they're not thinking about thrive. You are cause it's in your organization's <laughs> name, but um, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't have the opportunity to think about how we thrive and remain relevant and grow. And like, that's not the mindset. A lot of times it's a scarcity mindset and a boy, you know, our doors are going to close if we don't, you know, raise 10% more in our annual gala this year, <laughs> those kinds of things. So yeah, I want to talk with you about how is it, how is it different? What are you doing differently? that's helping you grow? And Andrea, we'll start with you because <laughs> it's funny when you first started talking about uh, I think I think what it was it just made everyone's eyebrows go up. You said, "Yeah, we bought a shopping center." <laughs> I'm like, "You did what? You bought a shopping center?" So, um, and you've now had the the big grand opening or ribbon cutting for it. And uh, j just, I'm going to turn it to you and let you kind of tell the story first. Let's let's get what these capital projects even are, and then we'll we'll get into sort of the leadership tenets of doing it. So, tell us about this shopping center and where it came about. Yeah, so I think that was a great. Uh, your explanation of what most nonprofits deal with, I, I definitely would say that characterizes us. Um, we are, you know, a nonprofit that doesn't have the luxury of having a nationally recognized name. Um, we don't have a, um, a, a mission that's particularly sexy to donors. Um, you know, we were like so many nonprofits in that situation where, um, you know, we get our funding, about 45% of it comes from uh, federal and state grants. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a majority of our funding, but it's a big piece of it. And then the rest of it, we have to earn through other sources, whether it's fundraisers or individual donors. And, and the one thing that we do not have, which some nonprofits have a better um, grasp of this than we do, is we, we don't have donors that write big checks. And um, at the same time, you know, we were being faced with um, the same problem that a lot of people have is the, the senior population is growing exponentially. It is um, just exploding. And we were feeling that very, um, it, it was being extremely felt at our organization. We had, um, you know, long waiting lists for classes and programs. Our parking lots were full. Um, and we had got to the point where growth was, just starting to become a negative. And I think that's kind of an uh, interesting thing. And growth is not always a good thing. And um, at the same time, you know, I would look at our financials every month and go, there's just absolutely no way we have the money to do anything about it. And so it felt many days like we were just stuck. You know, how in the world are we going to, you know, we don't have the space to grow. I had already expanded us to nine different locations. We were kind of out of ways to grow that way. Um, 
And, you know, the growth was kind of being forced upon us because our doors were being, you know, banged down by people who really wanted and needed what we were offering. So uh, it's kind of part of the funny part of the story is, you know, I went to our board and I said, I don't know, you know, exactly the way to do this, but, but this is kind of the vision that I have is I can just tell you, we're not going to raise the money through a capital fundraising campaign. We don't have those kind of donors and those kind of supporters. So we're going to have to do something a little risky. And um, luckily the board was you know, 100% behind this idea. And the idea was we don't have the money to buy a building. So instead let's buy a shopping center, which um, sounds pretty uh, opposite of what you might think to do. Um, but the, the plan was that we would use the income from the tenants in the shopping center to help us pay for the whole project. And that's exactly what happened. Um, we were lucky because we had a bank that came alongside us and said that they would work with us and help us with the financing. But that, it, that didn't come very easy. It took a lot of work to get there. Um, and we definitely you know, ran into a lot of problems along the way. But what has happened, we opened up in May and um, you know, all of those um, uh, thoughts and dreams and visions and expectations and all those things are coming true. But that certainly doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of sleepless nights along the way, making sure that, cause it was a pretty risky thing to do. And uh, again, you know, it's not something that I think a lot of people, you know, look at, you know, your comment Patrick was about, you know, the business community, you know, oftentimes the business community, when they look at expanding or growing, they, they look at financing and they, that's kind of how they, whether it's through going out to the you know, stock market and getting investors or something like that, that's something that's not typically open to the nonprofit sector. And that was kind of what made me start thinking about how can we do this in a non-traditional way? Because we can't do it the way most nonprofits have done it before. And so that's kind of how we ended up here. Um, I mean, again, it's, um, uh, it, we just opened in May. Um, it's being very well received. Um, and again, that we're hoping that this model, this income producing building basically is going to help us grow even further. Well, so, so you're describing what uh, uh, this is so good because this is what corporations would do. Sometimes they'll, they'll, um, you know, outright purchase or finance something they use. I mean, they literally use debt as part of their capital financial model to do this. Uh, you used a word that is, um, <laughs> it runs counter to the typical mindset of the nonprofit sector. And the word was risky. Mm-hmm. We don't, we're not, we're not yeah. big on risk. So uh, real quickly, before we get to, to Lila, Anna and Trisha's um, description of their projects, is your, is your board, how did you get past the risk? You know, is this a culture of your board that they, they just, you've built a board that just thinks innovatively. Did you have to really push? Did you have, do you feel like you had to, um, you know, push harder than you normally would. How did your organization get past this idea of risk? Because we're, we're a nonprofit and we don't have, we can't do capital expenditures or capital fundraising. how did you get past the risk? Yeah, I think the, I think the way that I was able to get past the risk was, you know, with data, I'm, 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 you know, presented the board with some pretty hard, irrefutable numbers. And the numbers basically said, um, you know, if this, program works out the way we think it will, it's hard to deny that it will be successful. And and the numbers were hard, you know, were solid, solid, really good numbers. Um, Again, you'd have to kind of see the the business model. But um, the other thing that I, you know, shared with them is we have two choices and we kind of laugh about it today because I invoked a biblical reference when I shared it with the board, which is um, also something that could be risky sometimes. But 
I basically said, you know, we're standing at this moment in time where we don't know what the future holds, but we know if we sit where we are, mm. we're going to die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had about at the time because of some funding things that we were being faced with, even though we were growing like crazy, but our funding was not keeping up with us. And it was way behind. And I said, at this pace, if we do not do something, we're not going to exist in about 18 months. Mm. And so I don't know if I scared them. I don't know if that was the intent, <laughs> but I just said, basically, we have a choice. We can sit here and, and knowingly you know, die or we can walk through an area that's a little bit unknown, but, um, you know, and a little risky. But, you know, if we do it together and hold hands and go through here to you know, go through this doorway together, we can figure it out. I'm confident with the people in the in the room that we can figure out any of the challenges and problems and adjust accordingly. And um, but I, I can also guarantee you that if we sit where we are, uh, we're not going to we're not going to make it. That's so powerful. Data, it, you know, data is hard to argue with when you have it down. And yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the, the biblical reference. The question that they asked that this was, this was lepers at the gate and they, and they, they asked, why sit we here until we right. die? Like we right. know this path leads to death. The other might, but we know this one does. And exactly. I, I think that's so powerful. Sometimes that's a great way to communicate impact is what happens if we're not here and what happens if we don't do this. So that that's powerful. Lila, Anna, um, I'm a little bit more familiar with yours, but uh, yours yours involves more than one building. Yours wow. is a whole like you're building a uh, neighborhood. Neighborhood. <laughs> neighborhood. You really are. Tell us about where where you um, are. What's this? What's this growth? You just uh, I would say you've led it, but it's still in progress. It's still really. in progress um, because the work's never done, right? Um, so you know, I I think if I if I go back to when we started building or expanding. Um, it came on the com- on the heels of a conversation with my case managers who said, our families at St. Lawrence Place are doing everything right. They're graduating. They're working 40 hours a week. They're making 10, 11 bucks an hour, and they can't afford safe, clean, affordable housing. At the same time, we had families coming in off the street in cars who needed emergency shelter, and that was not what St. Lawrence Place was. So... I had an incredible board and I looked at them and I said, I need to go build a house. And they were like, fine, go find the funding. So I did. And we built four. <laughs> so and I did. It's that simple. It, was, folks. it really, it, it, up, it was when they tell you to go raise money, <laughs> you just, just go it. do it. It was, it was incredible because it was, it was that, it was that simple. And, um, my board said, okay, hold up. This might be a little bit of mission drift. And, um, I went, well, we, we've got kind of like what Andrea said, something's got to give. And one of them looked at me and said, so if we don't do what you want to do, how long are you going to stay? And I laughed and I said, yeah, about a year. And he was like, okay, go find the model. Mm -hmm. So I found a model in New Jersey. Talk about risky. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I know. (laughs) I only have five children. Um, Anyway, um, so we found a model in New Jersey um, called Homefront and it was the continuum model. Um, and I went back to the board and said, hey, here's what I want to do. And they said, oh, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I laughed and I said, OK, naysayers. So I had a board member and this is this is the, the storybook um, who had a Cessna. And he said, I can fit five people in this plane. And I my board chair at the time said, you don't want me to go because I, I buy it hook, line and sinker. Go pick your three naysayers. 
And I did. I picked um, the three and the pilot and myself um, who were the most um, dollar oriented. And we flew to New Jersey and we spent four days um, touring and looking at books and bylaws. And we came back and it was a week before the flood, um, the historic flood. And we spent a day with an incredible strategic planner who kept pointing out <laughs> that you can't do this without capital improvements. So if you're going to expand your organization, you're going to have to have the buildings to go with it. The flood happened. It set us back a couple of months. And all bets were off after that. We, um, we raised $5.8 million, um, in less than a year. And it was through my board of directors who had never asked for money before. Wow. And they just asked for money. Um, they would bring, I mean, it was incredible. They'd bring a friend out who'd never heard of the organization. And at the end, I'm thinking, you're going to ask him for 10000 aren't you? And they'd go, well, we're thinking 100000 And they'd go, okay. And I would look at my board going, where the heck have you been all my life? Um, and, and we did. We raised $5.8 million, um, in less than a year. Um, we needed 5.7, and um, basically what that allowed us to do was uh, build a neighborhood. We um, built 15 new units of affordable housing. We totally renovated the dorms at Family Shelter, and those dorms had holes in the floor. They were not ADA compliant. We had families who were sharing bathrooms that the tubs were about to fall on the floor. Um, totally gutted, renovated. Uh, and then we are building a $2 million education building um, that will house all of our children's programs. For, so for the first time in the 18 years that I've been there, there are individual classrooms where we can have teachers, um, you know, security systems and cameras and awesome. key fobs. And um, <laughs> so we're done with the dorms. We're done with the affordable housing piece. The education building should be complete, knock on wood, October one. And then we have an operations building at the back of campus at St. Lawrence Place that will um, warehouse. We now have a full operations team. We have a maintenance crew, so they, they get their own space. Um, and we also, probably the thing that I'm most proud of, and I don't even know, I think I told you this, Patrick, Trisha, you might not know. Um, so there was a house at Family Shelter, and it was pretty much unusable. Mm-hmm. And after the George Floyd protests last summer, um, we had some pretty candid difficult conversations Um, and what we found out was is that um, my outreach workers felt that the admin team we have a staff of about 30 um, the admin team were in we were in an office suite off campus and they saw us as unreachable we weren't we weren't part of the team um, no matter how long we'd been there so we came out of those conversations and I made the commitment like within 24 hours, we're going to all go back to campus together. And we gutted the house and turned it into an administrative space where the social workers now are in the same building with the director of finance and the compliance officer. And we all talk about our kids and we all talk about how (laughs) your day was yesterday and they all get to deal with me. Um, So I I think I'm probably most proud of that because um, the culture had changed because we were we were separate and you know now now we're we're back together mm. and i had an opportunity to see all this stuff you're talking about a few weeks ago and, and it, it, it you just walk in and go this is amazing. and truly it's a neighborhood 
Um, so does your model include long-term debt or does your capital campaign really cover this? It covered everything. Um, it, 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 again, it, it was, um, I, I, my sleepless night probably, um, happened when, so our, our funding model that came out of that strategic plan, um, was this affordable housing piece helps support the program piece. So capacity wise, we expand 20 to 30 units a year. Um, but we knew when we did the plan that we were going to have 18 months of discomfort. We knew it. We documented it, and we got to about month 12. And, you know, I have never had red on my budget, and I don't carry debt. And I remember one of my board members saying, we need to just go back to St. Lawrence Place. And I was like, "Uh, no, you said we were doing this. And he looked around, and he said, oh, I did, didn't I? And so we were uncomfortable for six more months, and then it was like overnight. And I went, okay, guys, we can now transfer this. And guess what? We're good to go. Um, so it has, the, the model has held. And, um, you know, we've got, we'll, we'll develop another 30 units in the next 12 months. Wow. That's awesome. That is incredible. And it, I wonder, it, the, Andrea, you and Trisha can talk about this too, is did you have, did you have a moment where it was, let's go back? Yeah, well, let's turn around. I don't like where there's a, you know, there's rain cloud up there. Let's turn around and go back. Now, it sounds like it was one, in your case, Lilana, one board member. And I don't know, maybe and, sometimes and vocal, that's a good thing because you, know, you kind of need that. Don't you kind of need that gut check? Well, honestly, I needed that plane ride to New Jersey mm-hmm. because I knew that if they weren't convinced, I would always fight the battle. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if on paper, it made sense. Mm. I had to have all of them i had to have them believe as much as my board chair at the time yeah, believed yeah. and and he was one of them he was on the plane that day the mm-hmm. one that you know at, at month 12 was like we're, we're turning around <laughs> and everybody in the room looked at him and were like no we're no, not, we're not. <laughs> this is gone this is happening <laughs> calm down that's so. incredible trisha i've gotten to see your place i think andrea's place is the only one i haven't seen yet i got to get over there andrea and see your place me too um, but um trisha tell us about what you've done at sc thrive i've uh, uh, it's just amazing i walked in that place and went where am i again exactly um i would love to say that there was this big plan to um put it all together we did we did vision when we first moved out of office of rural health and then we had a great partner with the primary health care association to rent from them um we knew that we were going to eventually need our own place and um so we started looking into that uh, at that time, but we were thinking it was several years down the road. And then in uh, June of 2019, we got this call that said, hey, you need to be out. Um, and we're like, okay, how soon? Well, as soon as you can, but maybe by next July. And we're like, okay. And so that was, you know, it was actually September of 19. <clears throat> I, I want to give myself a couple of those months. So we started looking at what do you do? Do you do you buy? Do you build? Do you rent? What do you do? What's the options out there? I didn't know anything about the market. So we got some advisors. We worked that. And we started down the path of opportunity zones. And where do we place this building? And we know we need training. And we know we need some things that would be helpful, some training space. And, you know, that just didn't pan out. My board was like, no, we don't want, we don't want you to go down this path. And so we said, okay, let's look at refurbishing old warehouses, things like that. And there were several that were available at that time in the fall of uh, 2020. And when we started looking at them, we started looking at the rehab costs and, and how old some of these buildings were. 
there was going to be a lot of capital campaign that we needed to do this um, and not sure that we could get the funding for it, the financing for it. And so um, the people that we were working with took us, we want to show you this place. And it was out of our budget. And I said, you're crazy. Why are we going here? And so we went in, we walked in the door and my CFO kind of had a plan in her head and we walked in the door. They had just reduced the building and, you know, a million dollars they'd come off of it. And then they wanted like 3.6 million. And <clears throat> we said, okay, let's take a look at it. Walk around. It was this very nice building, nice furniture, nice everything. Um, they had sold their business and they made a lot of money and just needed out. And it had been sitting vacant for over 18 months. And so we, we offered an option for them um, to reduce the price even more. And uh, they took us up on it. And so they sold us the building as is with all the beautiful furniture, everything in there, but it still didn't have the training space. So when we ran the numbers, we also needed to have money to build a beautiful state-of-the-art training space with key fobs and all the fun things that you were talking <laughs> about. And um, so we did that. And I, I credit a lot of that to my team in doing that, but there are still some things. So we've slowly been fixing things up as we gain money and go that route on to making it more efficient. And for us, that's been a big piece of this. This was an older building, even though it's new and beautiful and big and all of that, but like some of the light bulbs are like, you know, $9,000 to change this one beautiful light bulb. And I'm like, mm, we need to change that because we need it to be sustainable for the organization. And so for us, it was great to be able to get this building because we were in two spaces and so to your point about being together, this was a big deal for us. But there was a lot of infrastructure that still needed to be put together for that. We had to change phone lines, which had problems. You know, we had to switch vendors because they didn't have cabling coming into the building. So there was a lot of detail that came along with that. But my board, it wasn't an option. So it wasn't so much convincing the board is like, we got to go somewhere and we have to do something. And that's kind of what we did. And um so we happened to buy the building in um, March of 2020, three days before the governor said pandemic. And so we had to move out both buildings in the middle of pandemic and find construction workers to do the construction and complete the construction by the end of December of 2020. So that is what we did during COVID. And we stood up a housing program to help those that had never found themselves in a position like that before because of COVID and the job loss. Wow. Okay. So your financing model then is what? Um, we, we got a bank loan. We okay. put, we put money down, got a bank loan and um, went that route for the building and our mortgage is about the same as it was for renting a little bit higher. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. And so now you're paying about the same amount, but you, you have an asset. We have an asset. The difference is, as far as the mortgage, we're paying the same. The um, heating and air and maintenance and costs. $9,000 light bulbs. Are, exactly. Are much more expensive. And so we had to come up with plans on how we're going to do that. Because we have this big building. We needed to see how much we were really going to use and how much we could maybe bless some other people with. Either use mm. it as a funding model like Andrea um, or, you know, like we, we were helped um, help another nonprofit. And we looked at both opportunities and the opportunity that arose was helping another nonprofit. And they've moved into all of our extra space at this mm. point in time because they were told that they needed to move out and their building was going to be uh, demolished. And they had a very short window to do that. So we're using it to, to bless others right now and down the road, hopefully more like Andrea's model uh, as we continue to grow and develop. Fascinating. So the, the three motivators behind each of your projects 
is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you could have, you know, well, we got to get out of this one, but you could have gone to a, you could have got some, something cheaper and, you know, more, but, but excellence is, uh, is part of uh, your makeup and your DNA. I know that <laughs> uh, all of you. Um, I'm going to ask this question and I'm just going to let all three of you answer this in any order that you want to. And let me ask it this way. What is the number, what have you learned the most about leadership through this expansion that each of you have undergone and led? And, you know, just again, for any of you, what would you say you've learned the most about leadership? I have learned that everyone is watching you. When you hear lead by example, um, if I, I hate to say allowed myself, um, I could not let anybody know if I had a sleepless night. My team, my board, the community, they were watching my reaction to mm. gauge what they needed to be doing. Um, and almost as importantly is I had to keep my finger on the pulse of my team because with the capital projects and COVID, and we also created a, a housing program mm-hmm. specific to those in need, um, I had to remind myself to make sure the capacity of my team was more important than the capacity of my buildings. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm going to jump in and say something that we've all kind of danced around a little bit that we haven't talked about is how COVID impacted all of this stuff too, because mm. You know, if you had this conversation two years ago, Patrick, we might be saying something a little bit different, but I can tell you our project, we started demolition the week before everything shut down. And, um, you know, that had a huge impact on our project too, from a stress standpoint and, a, you know, just a, are we doing the right thing? You know, questioning yourself and, and, and um, you know, how are we going to make it through this? I think that um, certainly had an impact. And then we all had to, at the same time, I'm sure, we all had to kind of redo our business plans of our organizations. Um, you know, I had to shut down nine centers and like, you know, I'm serving senior citizens that are the highest risk group of this whole thing. And how are we going to continue to serve them? And, and so you know, that added a whole nother element um, to the whole capital building situation that just, <laughs> just made it a lot more interesting. <laughs> oh, well, no doubt. And I'm wondering in retrospect, if any of you would say that COVID actually, you know, I mean, we're thinking about, um, how people's mindsets and business models, as you say, have changed. I learned, I mean, I coach a lot of nonprofit clients, uh, either in strategy or leadership, and I've seen organizations move faster than they ever thought they could. Absolutely. Um, do things they didn't think they could. I mean, is that, did, did you find that the case with, with leading this kind of expansion during COVID? Did it lead to maybe a different mindset that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to Absolutely. unlock? So Absolutely. We never, we never went home. We were considered we essential. So I mean, we, we, we sent a couple of administrative people home with laptops, but the, the rest of us, the shelters, uh, we, we were there. And we were lucky, um, you know, Tricia mentioned the construction piece. Um, we were breaking ground uh, as it was all unfolding and the construction crews never went home um, and probably didn't have masks on as they were <laughs> knocking out walls. Yeah. We, we didn't really hit a, a, a glitch with the families until we had to, um, move them, remove them from the dorms because we were literally gutting the dorms and we had created the COVID motel program and we thought, Oh wait, we have a model now. 
So we were able to move families into motels across town and, and use the same model we had been using because of the, the, the COVID um, specific programming we had created. So I saw um, with the not only the staff, but our partners just uh, we have a technology platform. And so part of that technology platform is having people learn how to use technology to help people do what they do more efficiently and effectively. And that technology is Thrive Hub and the willingness to do that now because the platform is there um, and learning that process is a huge piece of everything. And so with COVID, people had to, they were forced to, whether they wanted to or not. Um, And so from that angle, we saw that. We saw organizations who did things one way, decide to do something differently and knew that they had to, to serve their people um, in that process and the people that they serve. We, we didn't go home either. We have a contact center. So our contact center needed to be there because they didn't have the infrastructure at home or because all the kids were at home, they weren't able to focus and do the work that they needed to do. So yeah, I saw a ton of that from that aspect. And from a leadership standpoint, I agree with Lila, Anna and Andrea for sure on um, things that we learned are making sure that you're, uh, you get knowledgeable for your team, making sure you communicate and cast that vision to them and live by example. But it's also okay to tell them, I'm nervous and here's what I'm nervous about, but I trust that we're doing all the right things to move this in the right direction. That's a real balance, the vulnerability, uh, but, but keep the courage there and the, the vision and we're, we're still going, we got this, we're going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Any- I think, you know, back to your original question about what did we learn? I think along those same lines, I mean, for me, there were plenty of times where I felt like, am I the only person that feels passionate about this? Um, <laughs> even though I definitely had the support of the board, but there's, you know, as an executive director, we all go through those moments where we feel like we're totally alone uh, and we're carrying this torch, you know, by ourselves. But um you know, but we I had to balance this perseverance, I would say is the word of, you know, dogged, um, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm the one that's pushing this forward. And sometimes it felt like a boulder up a hill, but at the same time, being willing and being flexible, it's, it's such a paradox to me, um, of being flexible about changing course if needed. So, you know, as you're going on this building project and you've got your mind set on, it's got to be this way. And then you get hit with a, a roadblock or a barrier, you know, being able to kind of adjust that vision and, and, and I guess stay really focused on what exactly is the vision. Is the vision this particular building or this mm. particular street or this particular thing? Or uh, is it really more, um, you know, the outcome that you're trying to get to? And staying focused on the right outcome or the right thing. You know, what things do we hold in an open hand and what things do we hold very tightly in a closed hand? And kind of knowing that balance between those two things, too, I think was something that really emerged for me is being willing to listen to somebody who would say that building, that particular building is not going to work, even though I know you've got your heart set on it and you would just speak, you know, your heart would be crushed. Um, when it didn't go through and you thought you had to start all over again. Um, but sometimes it, it works out for the best in the end. So good. It is. I, and it resonates with me because I, I struggle with that. I have to, I, I have my way. I want to do it. I, you know, I drive, you know, there's a, I think all of you have heard this. I shared a lot when I talk about leadership definitions. Uh, Marty Linsky is a, I think a professor of sociology at 
Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, and he's a he's a co-author with Ron Heifetz on works on adaptive leadership, and he wants to find leadership as di- disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have exceeded that rate in my leadership in the past, and just I I, I just want to I push too hard, and I want to I see it, and it's my vision, and I'm not going to let go of it. And, and and Andrea, what your um, tenant reminds me of is that nobody else knows. In some cases, that there was a course correction. It's like if if the wall is blue instead of green, the the people that end up coming into the center that you're serving, they never knew it was supposed to be green. Right. Um, they see a beautiful blue room, and so the idea that well, it didn't. It's not designed exactly the way I have in my head the the realization it's like when musicians mess up mm-hmm. the really good ones can do it in such a way where nobody else knows it they know it but but nobody else knows it and that's that's a really interesting um tie-in and analogy to what you're doing is when that vision has to change because it doesn't go perfectly i i used to or not used to i still do tell my team it's like a wedding you know, only you and the wedding planner are going to know that that was not supposed to happen. So keep your mouth shut and keep going forward. We're good. <laughs> Unless um, you trip on your dress and fall. Uh, then, know, then they, you know. they know that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> but, you know, but, but, you know, we had a couple of those moments where, you know, I just kind of look up and go, shh, it's okay. it's all right if if, to your point, if that wall is a little more gray than what we thought it was going to be. Nobody knows. Mm. Carpet was my issue. I'm just saying carpet, how expensive it is. It matters. Carpet matters. Can I just say that? I I agree. It's a leadership lesson. Carpet matters. Carpet matters. I I will say this. um, And I was, I was, you know, looking over questions and kind of going over things. Um, I, I was lucky enough that, um, I had some really good mentors who, because you asked about construction and, you know. Right. Um, so they told me what I needed to do seven years ago to get ready. Um, here, here is the, the certification in affordable housing development. Mm. Here's what's going to make your application more attractive. Here's what's going to get you the points. Here's what's going to make the developer across town listen to you. Um, and so, you know, so you, you, you did that and then you looked up and said, okay, now you've got to grow capacity wise with your team. What does that look like? Okay. Well, so you need to be versed in organizational change and systems and, you know, Patrick's eyes get big and I'm like, so, you know, I went out and got the, the PhD. Um, so it was, it, it was, but again, I had a board and a team that supported me the entire time because every step I was taking was for them. It, it, it I, I hate, it sounds so cliche to say it's like you're a mama mm. um, because it, it's all about. It, but, it and really, you're a mama. And you're okay. a mama. <laughs> and you're a mama. Um, but, but it wasn't, you said you'd never had, you know, you'd had the three guests and I'm looking around going, these are three pretty incredible women. No but, and, and when we, we, we did all this with families and right. we, we did all this, um, giving as much to our community or our, our team as as we were giving to our our our, our family at the house, um, and you know, so yeah, but you had to learn about the carpet and pro formas and debt service or how to avoid debt service, and um, and that gave you street cred. Yeah, I was asking Trisha actually before we started, and it was it was before um, before you got here, Liliana. 
about how do you surround yourself with the people you need that have the various kinds of expertise in this thing? Because again, we don't walk into this, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm doubting that any of your organizations hired you because you were an expert in, in capital development of, of, of facility. So how do you, this is a leadership tenant, I think, how did you do it? How do you surround, how do you know you've got the right people around you and how do you engage them? Well, I think there's two programs on here. Well, two organizations here that have been around a long time. And so you have length of service to have a mentor and um, uh, length of service in the community. That's one aspect. We're 11 years old as a program and seven years old as an organization. And so, yeah, I, I'm not a construction manager. Um, so there was a lot that I had to learn. So I went out and sought people who had done this work, you know, people who pulled cables, people who could read some of this and say, just explain it to me. So then maybe I can understand it and make sure when they're asking me, can we change this? What the five other impacts of that change will have on the, the building, the facility, the, you know, the room, whatever I'm looking at. So I think you go out and if you don't have it and you don't have it in your, in your, um, board or in your depth of board or in your depth of, uh, other executive directors or nonprofits who've been there. I mean, it just hit me when we were doing this. I could have called Lila Anna and had her come over and do this, but she was in the middle of the pandemic doing her own thing too. So and I would have gotten in my car and would have. been there in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> so it just hit me, you know, remember that there are people out there who've been there, done this before and take the opportunity to ask them. Mm. You know, and, and what I've always said, and, and when I say that to Trisha and I look over and smile, she knows I'm, I, I'm serious. Um, I have, always said it's about the village um there is this weird misconception that nonprofits don't work together mm-hmm. uh, right along with we're not businesses by the way mm-hmm. um don't get me started on that one um but the fact of the matter is is that you know i mean we we always work together why would we not why reinvent the wheel and um we use each other uh in a, in a, in a good way um, but what, what I would say is, is that, so, you know, back in the day when there were six of us, um, you clean the toilets Absolutely. and as you grow, it is, how do I surround myself with the best people? Um, and what I will tell anyone who listens, and I know Patrick, you are a baseball fan like me. If my first baseman doesn't show up, I don't care how good my pitcher is. We're going to lose what right fielders people make fun of them catchers cool let your let your catcher sit it out for a game Mm -hmm. see how you do when they try to steal home um so i i have um i that is the culture of our organization it's the culture of our board it's 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 kind of the mantra i live by um i am the coach of a really incredible team Mm. um and my my bench is deep so you know we're up for a uh, what, what Ray Tanner? Let's go three. Um, we're we're and we're and we're continuing to build the team. Um, but you made a comment, Patricia, earlier about excellence. I will say this: we are fast paced, and the bar is high. Absolutely. And people get that within about the first thirty days. And Andrea, that makes me think of you immediately because um, we all know. Uh, there's nothing Andrea does or touches. I'm going to my BRI experience with Andrea that she doesn't put like the, it not just excellent, but the best, right? <laughs> I mean, really that I think, I think you have a, a and I'm, I'm guessing Andrea, and I'm going to ask you to maybe not be too modest on this. 
Um, and this isn't to blow smoke. I think it truly is a leadership tendency. I think that's infectious. I think you have to have that in an organization where you're going to buy a shopping center and take risk that you've never taken before because you can't do the kind of, you know, you can't raise the $6 million as easily as Lilianna's board can. Um, there has to be this component of, Hey folks, let's like our seniors deserve the very, very best. This isn't, this isn't just a safety net here. Let's be the best we can be. There has to be a sense of infectious, um, capacity to, to achieve that. Would you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I hope, I mean, that's, you know, I, I have always, you know, been a very hard worker and, um, you hope that I inspire that in other people. They, they watch me, they watch my dedication. I hope that's what people see. Um, but you, you know, I, I'm also a pusher. So I push people and push mm. people. Um, years ago, I had a, a, one of my very first jobs, I had a, a boss that told me there's never so much growth as when you feel really uncomfortable. And I think that that would certainly describe this big project that we've been going on, mm. you know, the last several years is that we've been very uncomfortable, but we know we're experiencing a lot of growth and that's, con- you know, that can be very exciting. And, and I just kept having to tell people, this is the vision, this is the vision and remind people, you know, why we're doing this. And, and, and even when it was hard, um, you know, the other thing that I, I'm, I want to come back to something that everybody's saying that I want to make sure I point out to those people who are listening, you know, you, you may be sitting here listening to this and thinking, well, I don't have all those things. I don't have the supportive board. I don't have the fundraising capability. I think my message that I'd like to say to y'all is, you know, a, there's a lot of different ways to go about doing this. And, um, and don't let that stop you. I mean, don't let the fact that I don't, you don't have one of these elements or all of these elements. Um, I think that there's ways to grow and, and we should all be wanting to grow because if we don't, we're, we're dying. But the other thing that I think is really important is this stuff didn't take, didn't happen overnight. You know, Absolutely. Trisha's story, she got pushed from a timeline um, because she had to, but she had to be in a situation where she was able to call on people to help her. And that took years to develop. And, you know, I know in our case, I presented this vision to our board in 2014. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you start thinking about all that we went through in all those years, I mean, this wasn't something I presented last year and we did it. I mean, this has taken years of learning and talking to people and research and, uh, meeting the right people, you know, taking people to lunch and saying, tell me everything you know about research, uh, real estate development um, I, you know, we have a great story here in Greenville. Um, many people, in, at least in South Carolina, know about Greenville's downtown area and our beautiful Liberty Bridge. But one of the best stories about that to me that I always think about in these moments is there were about three women that really championed that whole thing. And it took them like 40, 50 years to make that come true. And I just think that's such an example of people having a vision and a vision doesn't happen overnight necessarily. Sometimes vision takes years and sometimes it takes um, just a lot of faith and prayer and, um, and just sticking to your guns and, and keeping your eye on the prize. But um, and so I guess I, I would hope that maybe whoever's listening, you know, would be encouraged that if this is something they're thinking about, that you be creative, you think about um, different ways you could go about doing things. And maybe the way that we've done it is not the right answer for you either. But, um, you know, there's there's more than one way to, to solve things. And I think that's kind of the creativity that comes in leadership, which is really what gets me excited is like, let's be creative. Let's don't do it the way everybody else has done it. Let's don't do it the way Lila Anna did it. Lila Anna had a, a unique situation and Trisha had a unique situation and Andrea had a unique situation. Let's all like 
let's just solve these problems in a unique way and, you know, call on the skills that we individually have and the assets that we have, and they're all different. And, and also throw in a dose of patience because it takes time. A hundred percent, Andrea, this is, um, knowing that the board just, you know, went out and asked and you got the 5.8 million. But if you, if you know, Lila Anna, you know, she's been in the community, she's been working in her schools, she's been serving, she's been doing all of those things for years to get to those relationships and go that route. And when you're new and don't have the skills, you might be able to work with somebody who has those relationships that can help you open doors. And so that was in my case, because I haven't been in this community as long as any one of you actually. And so having knowing the people who could open doors for you and then it's your job to have the passion push do all the things that you need to do to get to where you your vision is for your organization along with that support so 100 percent. you know okay relationships Mm -hmm. vision Mm -hmm. patience um an appetite for risk um a mindset of excellence none of those things have anything to do with managing a construction process. They are all about leadership. I mean, this is what I'm hearing from you. This is, this is what I anticipated in this program and I'm getting it and I'm loving it. And I'm just going, Oh, let's go like three more hours on this because <laughs> this is really rich. Um, Andrea, I was talking with, um, with a leader who was disappointed that their organization wasn't more um, recognized and listened to during COVID among uh, policy leaders. And we had a conversation about it and realized that, yeah, that's because we haven't spent the last 10 years developing relationships and cultivating a policy competency. And so, oh, now it shows up. What's the saying? You know, best time to plant an oak tree is 100 years ago. And the second best time is today. Um, You just you got to start somewhere. And but Andrea, also what I loved about what you said is let's not think about what we don't have. You know, I don't have six million dollars. I don't have a big board. I don't have a deep bench. Uh, what do you have? And I don't, I think we miss a lot. Uh, I think we, we look right over a ton of assets that we don't realize we have. But when you start with the construct of what do we have? And also that growth is not for organizations that don't have those things. Well, a shopping center might not be their next step. <laughs> you know, what, exactly. what is the next step for you? Scale is, is uh, relative. So, so Patrick, you know, one of the things that pops into my head, um, because I'm huge on the culture of my team. Um, I remember when we were three and we would bring a crock pot on Fridays and we would, it was like stone soup. Whoever Mm -hmm. was in charge, we, you know, bring whatever we had. Um, And then we grew to six. Um, So I also want to make sure everyone understands we didn't wake up with the size of an agency that we lead. I mean, when I when I came on board 18 years ago, it was seriously two full time and one part time. And it was a big deal when they were able to offer me a position that was full time dedicated to fundraising and communications. Um, So so it's an 18 year journey Mm, in my case. Um, And, you know, we took on the family shelter that pretty much had the same story. I mean, there were two parallel stories. So to Andrea's point, none of this happened overnight, not not just the construction projects, but the growth of our agencies in general. I mean, I remember SC Thrive and, and when it began and and what it was. And now it's like, so now what are they doing? I mean, it, it, it's it's an, this capital piece is part of a larger 
journey organizationally. On the other, uh, so by the same token, I should say, you mentioned a while ago, some, one of you mentioned not being a, a national organization. All of you, all of your organizations are grassroots grown organically in your local communities. You know, it, this isn't the United Way, um, Mary Gates training center that got paid for, you know, with it, this isn't a Boy Scout Council's big piece of land that their name brand helped them raise money for among, uh, a, a, you know, like this is, this is truly requires a different um, brand of leadership. And that that's what impresses me so much about it, I think. What is unique to South Carolina? That's what this is. And what is South Carolinians? What do they need to grow mm. and become self-sustainable? Mm. You know, another thing that I'll kind of throw in just for, for people to brainstorm a little bit, but I always get the ideas for stuff like this in, in crazy places. So when you think about like, how did Lila Anna get the idea to do this and how did, you know, this come about for treasure or me, but uh, it's funny that the things that kind of get you thinking when I was wrestling with uh, what am I going to do? You know, it was kind of a, reminds me a little bit of um, the stories you've heard about when they were making the movie jaws and they could not get the robot to work and they just couldn't work, couldn't work, couldn't work it. And finally, you know, he was like, we, we've got to regroup here. Like, this is not working. The stupid robot wouldn't, wouldn't function right. And so they figure out a new way to do it, which was to create the fear, you know, out of shooting moving water. And that's all it ended up being. And it ended up being much more terrifying. And, you know, the rest is history. And I think about stories like that, like what, what things, you know, push you to where you have to be more creative and you had to, um, you know, think differently about things. But um, for me, I was, you know, stressed and worried about how, how, what am I going to do? This is a big problem. I don't have any money. We've outgrown our buildings. Like I need the organization to grow. What am I going to do? And I, I literally was watching the movie about uh, Ray Kroc and McDonald's that was out several years ago. And, you know, the part of the story where he, he got into real estate and he started, you know, that's really what McDonald's has built their whole empire on is real estate. And I thought, well, gosh, why couldn't we do something like that? And so that's when I kind of started investigating that idea of using real estate as a source of income for us. Um, And that's where the social enterprise part comes in. It's like, well, why do I always look at, you know, making money through our services? Why can't we look at making money a totally different way that has nothing to do with what our mission is? And, you know, that kind of, you know, was what led us to this idea. So I just kind of think, too, about, like, what what other creative, random, you know, things might pop up that might give you the inspiration, you know, to try something different? I think one of the questions that I would love to see asked more in the social sector is what if. You know, yeah. um, Warren Berger has a book called A More Beautiful Question. And, uh, it's, uh, there's a ton of stuff in it, but one of the things that I really loved about it was his sort of three question path to innovation, um, starting with why, you know, why, why is it this way or why can't we, or why did, why is it that so-and-so always gets the such and such, right? Um, and then the second question is the, what if question, what if we could, what if we could do what McDonald's did? Um, what if we could, um, what if we could get our income from the people that are going to utilize the facility? What if this could actually be a profitable adventure? And then the the third question is how, which he altered to how might we, because how might we gives you permission to, there's no, nothing locked down. How might we, let's just dream. There's no, no, it's the brainstorming thing. Um, why, what if, and how might we, and I, it's that what if question, I think sometimes we skip 
you know, and, and that's what Andrea That's exactly what you did. You just asked the, how might we, how, or, or the, what if rather, what if, what if we did that? What if, what if that could apply to our work? I think that's cool. Um, man, I have so many more questions, but I don't want to go too long. Um, let me ask this to you. Um, I put you on the spot just a little bit because <clears throat> this question wasn't exactly one that I told you I would ask. Um, what would you say today that because we did what we did blank for, for listeners who, you know, because you, you, you talk a lot about the technical aspect and all the hoops and things and the wires and the <laughs> zoning and all, but vision. Now this is vision in retrospect now, but also looking forward to what you can actually achieve. What did this do for your organization's mission? And I just in any order for the three of you to say, because we did this, gave people hope, gave staff hope, it gave clients hope, it gave organizations hope. There's, there's a, there can be a way out. There can be uh, another way to do this. There's a new partnership. I had no idea this organization was doing this, but hope is probably mm. um, um, what I would say is, is something. It's not like people didn't have hope in some aspects, but this just gives you, wow, there's so much more we can do. Mm-hmm. That kind of hope. Yeah, that's rich about andrea or lilana i i trisha i would so agree with that absolutely um i think i would just add on to it that it, it gave my organization aside from the mission of what we do but it gave my organization options yes. um, which we really didn't have a lot of before but you know, now we have you know the ability to gosh you know this has opened a lot of doors for us to try some other new things and to grow in some other new areas you know, again, which goes back to the hope, you know, it gives my staff hope. It it gives um, the people who we serve hope. It gives everyone in the community hope. But, you know, you you have to be in a situation where you have some options, not just dead ends everywhere. Uh, And I I add a little just a personal story. Um, I was walking down the hall just a few days ago, and this just got me. So I just want to share this with you. But one of the people who've been coming, and by the way, we've just been it's been a tsunami of people ever since we opened the door. The first three days we opened, there were 500 people that came in. And um, we weren't sure if people would come back, if they'd feel comfortable. And um, But boy, we were pleasantly surprised mm. and people were so eager to get back together. Um, anyway, this lady stopped me in the hall and she said, um, I just want you to know this building makes me feel important. Wow. And um, I just it just got to my heart because that's really kind of what was driving me the whole time. It's like, I want people to... I want people to look at senior citizens and think, you know, these people are important. They're not, you know, they don't need to be stuck off in some used old building that's falling apart. Mm, they're not castaways. Yeah, they're not castaways. They are important. And, and I think it's the same thing that drives both of y'all too. If you're, you're, we want people to, who are just because they're struggling with something in their life, they're still important. And, um, and sometimes buildings and facilities give people a place of identity and you know and value and so that's that's something i think that also happened with us too Mm. that's great okay so i'll find the sweet spot between um you know hope and the business model um honestly you you both kind of hit on it um by doing what we did we now have the capacity to do more Mm -hmm. um we're going back to the strategic planning table and six weeks um and there's more work to be done and we're here for it and because this was successful um won't be as hard to convince Mm. the board the team the community um and you know 
here here goes another three years and a couple of more projects and ideas <laughs> that I may have mm. um, come up with in the middle of the night <laughs> when I don't sleep. Um, but but no, I mean it gives you it gives you capacity not just in a financial sense, but in in that that trust, that faith, not just from those you serve, but from those who have to be on the journey with you every step of the way. So you read my mind, Lila Ann. I I, um, I I just wrote down abundance because um, and Andrea, you'll appreciate this. Another scriptural reference for you: um, mm-hmm. "To him that hath, it shall be given." Mm-hmm. To him that hath not, it shall be taken, even that he hath. This is the law of abundance, and you read about it in The Secret, and you read about it from all these motivational speakers and everything is. But it's the law of abundance. It's the momentum that gets built with a mindset of abundance. And what strikes me about what the three of you have done is, first of all, this isn't your first big success, obviously. It it was made possible because of previous successes faith in yourself, confidence in yourself, your board having confidence in you. The next time um, that Lila Anna says, this is what we can do and what we need to do, uh, the, the, you know, probably a little more, okay, we'll pay attention <laughs> to this. I think, I think this worked out okay. So it builds the trust. And, um, and so I would say, again, for people who look at this, we all have these people in our lives that we look at and go, man, just everything they touch just turns to mm-hmm. go, how, how do they do this? Like, what are they doing? This everything works. And I think it's the law of abundance. I think it is. Um, I think it's what the three of you practice in your leadership, which is not a scarcity mindset. It's a what is possible line, mindset, and it's um, success breeds success, and it's all about momentum. And with that in mind, I have my final question for you. It's not my final question. My final question is going to be: Do you have anything else that you want to get out about this that you think is is relevant to leadership and for our listeners? My um, Second final question is, what's next for you? Now, Lila and I know that you're going into strategic planning soon. And so maybe, you, you know, like that's a that that's what strategic planning is, actually. It's asking the question, what's next? But to get your vision, the CEO vision of kind of what you think is next. But for each of you, what's sort of the next big thing? What's what's on the horizon is the next thing you're looking to pursue, grow, achieve, dream? For me, I've been we've been talking about this quite a bit and for me, it's paying off the building. So, you know, we got the funding, we got the building, we've made some changes. Now I want to pay it off. And some people think that's not a smart thing to do. I want to pay it off so that I have more options, more opportunities, so we can use every square inch of the building for the mission to better people and and continue to grow that out there. So for me, it's that piece. So if you know of anybody who, just 2.2 is all I'm looking for, Lilana. Just 2.2 <laughs> million. I'm on it. Okay, on thanks. It. Um, what's next? Uh, oh God. Um, so first of all, it's not just my vision. It's my team's vision. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've been talking Mm -hmm. now for the past six months and I'm like, okay, we're going to go back to the table. What do we want? What do we want? Um, uh, we're missing a step in the continuum. We know it. Um, so you're going to hear us expand more into quasi emergency transitional. Um, we, because of COVID, saw a lot of disparities really brought to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and capital can't fix that. Um, so you are going to see us get back into um, that advocacy piece. Systems which we, work. The yeah. systems mm-hmm. work, which we were really strong in before COVID. Um, and then we kind of got pulled back to programming. Um, so it is going to be a, a mix of new programs, which will have capital. 
to go with them. Um, you have to put the extra family somewhere. Um, but you're going to you're going to see that advocacy piece kind of come back where we were um, before the pandemic really took hold. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I, I kind of like both of, of y'all, um, you know, I, paying off the building would definitely be uh, top of mind. Our business plan basically has us reinvesting the income that we're going to earn off the building back into the building to help pay it off. Um, and that once that happens, that just it's a whole different I mean, we've just totally changed our story and our future, quite frankly. Um, you know, we've got uh, visions of lots of different new programs that we've all dreamed about and talked about for several years. Everything from tra- um, a, a training center for people who work with seniors in their lay churches and, um, you know, just uh, people who work with the senior population in lots of different um, environments. And so how could we be a training center for that? Uh, we've talked about um, other new services that we just feel like our city is really lacking in for seniors, uh, such as transportation is a real, a real need. And so we'd love to be able to get more invested in that. And we've got some doors that are opening for us in that area right now. So um, you know, it's probably the next place we'll go most immediately. Um, I also, you know, Tricia, you made this comment earlier. Uh, you know, if the business model works the way we think it will, there will be a time in the future that we will be able to become a granting organization yes. where we can grant money out to people. And I think that's when we, you know, I'll use this expression, when we, we reach full actualization, when we can start uh, granting money out and helping other people grow. Um, that'll just be the ultimate to me. Um, but um, you know, that's a little ways down the road, but that's kind of where uh, the vision is still going. So I don't know. I, and actually I do maybe have one more question. <laughs> um, but if for, for our listeners, if you didn't get anything else, rewind about two minutes and listen to the answer to the question of what's next. Because um, I was completely comfortable asking that question, knowing that there weren't going to be any deer in the headlights looks or blank speechless. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. These are leaders that have, that always have a vision. There's always a horizon. There's always a what's next. And it came out of all three of you just like that, because it runs in your heads. It's part of your DNA and it's what drives your organizations forward. And to me, um, the vision casting, is probably the biggest thing maybe that strikes me listening to all three of you and how you sort of went about doing this. Um, it's about that vision and some of it is vision of, Hey, we can be better. We can be bold. We can serve more. And some of it is like Andrea said in the beginning, Hey, we sit where we are. We're going to die people (laughs) like that's vision. I can see that. I can imagine that. Um, so I, I just love that. Um, what would you say is uh, sort of if you had one more final thought and I'll let this be the question where you say anything you want, but in, in addition to um, what would be your number one piece of advice for leader, nonprofit leaders who are considering embarking on a major capital project and think of it like this, they're at a place where they, they need to do it or they're ready to do it. Their growth is there if they can build the space for it. And what would be your number one piece of advice for leaders who are going into such a project as you all are sort of coming out of it? And again, in any order, but um, I'd love your perspective on that. And then if you have anything else to add, take the moment to do that too. Well, it's funny because on the way in, I I heard this story. It was a great story about the medals. I don't know if you've heard it for um, the Olympics. 
what they did for the medals for the Olympics for this one coming up is they went out and they asked everybody for their recycled or used or old phones, computers, things like that. And they made all of the Olympic medals from these recycled metal, bronze, gold, silver. Mm. And so, um, I say that to say, be nimble. Don't think of it in, I have to have a three-point plan to go out and ask money for a capital campaign. What can you take and make new? Who can you partner with who is not using something to the best of their ability? So be nimble. Um, Look at net neutral whenever you can. That was another aspect that I looked at. You know, what what can we do that will offset a cost so we can use this money for something else? Mm. And then be neighborly. Um, there are organizations out there that need you to be be their mentor, their helper, have a place for them, offer them things, be neighborly if you can. And I, I thought about that a lot because um, when I was first a CEO, I had no idea about being a CEO. And so I sought people. Lila Anna was one of my first conversations way back when. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, um, and I said, what should I look at? And she gave me some advice, but I looked at different people. So really look at all of that information so that you can then come to what is best for my organization based on what the gifts and talents that my team and I have been given. So rich. Yeah, I think I would jump in and uh, say, in addition to all those things, you know, surround yourself with really great people. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say that, I'm like, you know, people that challenge you, question you, um, ask you questions, maybe help you brainstorm, um, and people that you also think are had the same kind of goals and 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 objectives in their personal life as well as their professional life and people that you can respect like just spend time with those people you know we you talked at the beginning of this podcast about the blue ridge institute I and mean, it's one of the things i think we all love about that is it's an opportunity for us to have very you know organic conversations with people that we think are great people that can inspire us and and challenge us at the same time um so I think that would be one thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is, you know, whenever you have that voice in your head that says, I can't do that, you know, really fight that urge. And, uh, and you know, back to what we said earlier, it's not, it's how, how can I do that instead of I can't. And, um, you know, I think there are people in the community that are more than willing to come alongside you and help uh, everybody be successful. I think that you know, the, one of the things I love about working in the nonprofit sector is, I believe for the most part, we all want each other to be successful. Yes. And that's one of the great things about this sector versus, you know, the for-profit sector is um, we, we, we don't want to win at the, at the uh, detriment of somebody else. We want to all win together. And so we, uh, I know I've got lots of friends I can go have dinner with and say, oh gosh, you know, I, I, my board is really questioning me about this. So, you know, how would y'all handle this? Or, you know, I can't get this fundraising situation. What can I do? And um, I just, uh, I think, you know, Trisha said that too, is, you know, be good neighbors, um, but also you surround yourself with those good people. Awesome. Okay. First piece of advice, just do it. Mm -hmm. I think Nike has used that before. Um, You you know, um, have grace with others and yourself. I remember one afternoon, and and this has not happened to me often, um, I had taken what I call so many bullets for my team that day. Um, I, I, in 18 years, have never thrown any of my staff under a bus. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, may, they may mess up, but the board will never know it. Um, and I had taken the last one 
And I walked into my COO's office and I literally just spread out on the floor. And I looked at her and I said, I'm bleeding out. Help me. <laughs> and and I remember her looking down at the floor and going, you need help getting up or you want me to leave you alone, <laughs> turn off the light, what's going on? And the bottom line was, is that I had not had grace with myself um, because, it, you know, I, I was so busy making sure everything else was being taken care of. And I don't mean in a motherly way, I mean in a business way, um, but that I had kind of at some point forgotten that I needed to breathe. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I learned a hard lesson that day. Um, but, but you know, Andrea, I, I was, you're not in the studio with us and I'm, I'm like going, not me, not me. <laughs> I am one of those that um, I, I want everybody to get along. And But when it comes right down to it with me, this I, I run this nonprofit like a business, and if you told me tomorrow that um, oh we're sorry you're funding you know all and and we can't pay uh, no mm-hmm. I, I'm 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 here to serve my community and my families and the clients, but the bottom line is is that when you go into a project like what we went into. I, my board was not going to let me do it because of the homeless families we serve because we were serving homeless families. So um, I, I very much had to kind of um, switch my mindset to that business mentality um, because I had to back everything with with cold, hard numbers and the stories were great. But to those bankers on my board or the bankers in the community, mm-hmm. you, we were doing warm fuzzies. We needed to do more. So um, I, I very much had to switch. I, I had a dear friend look at me and say, stop talking about being the redhead with your roll of duct tape. Because I would, I would rush into a room and I was the one who would just say anything. And that dear friend looked at me and said, uh-uh, that got your organization to where you are. If you want to keep moving forward, put up the duct tape and stop talking about your red hair. And I thought, oh, man, he's right. Mm. And he was. Mm. Patrick. I don't remember saying any of that. <laughs> I do. I still have the duct tape in my desk drawer. <laughs> Patrick, I do think that, that one big thing to talk about is self-care for, for leaders, for your team, for everything. I, I picked up the phone today because I walked past an office yesterday, and it hit me. Some, she just said she was on a Zoom call. And had a phone in her hand and was typing something. All at the same time, she said, can anybody get me lunch? And we, and this person said, I can't get you lunch. She just said, no, I need real food. I'm almost out. She goes, I got back to back to back. And so I picked up the phone today and I said, I saw you sitting in that chair. And I said, that's me. I have not been a good example to my staff. And so I picked up the phone and said, I know you can't not have these meetings, but you can make them shorter. Can you just do that for me? And the next thing you know, I heard... Oh, thank God, because mm-hmm. you are not going to make it. So build in that self-care time. Give yourself some think time is what I told her. You need some time to soak, soak time, think time, whatever you want to call it. But we need to give ourselves permission to do that as leaders and to process all that we are doing, because that's what's going to help us make the right choice, the right decision, the right direction. So all right, one quick thing, and Patrick, you know where I'm going with this. So I leave here. And I've got one event. And tomorrow morning, I get on an airplane at 6 a.m. with the, I have 
five boys with my middle boy. Um, and he has picked the Grand Canyon. And we are going to raft and camp at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And it is the first time in 18 years that I will not be reachable. Now, you know, you can radio the outfitter and they can send a helicopter in to get me. But the bottom line is, for the first time in 18 years, I am allowing myself to turn the phone off, not by choice. There's no reception at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. (laughs) And I'm looking at my kids saying, how are you going to do this? How are you going to exist without TikTok? And he's looking back at me and going, how are you going to do this? (laughs) And I thought, isn't it interesting that it's taken the Grand Canyon? But I told my team when I walked out this afternoon, guys, when I get back, we're making some changes for all of us. Mm-hmm. You don't need to email at four in the morning. I don't need to email at four in the morning. Yeah. Um, so. Well, all of you are familiar with a, a wise, wise cracker at um, the Blue Ridge Institute who looked out at the group of leaders a few years ago and said, hey, it ain't all about you. <laughs> but some of it is. And, and, and at the time it was, you know, it was a fun, sort of a funny wisecrack there, but he kind of laughed at and, you know, ah, it ain't all about you, but some of it is, but it's true. Um, and it, 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 it is leadership is about others. That's why we're doing this. We're doing this for others, but some of it is about us. And if we don't make some of it about us, we can't serve the others. So I appreciate all of you for, for doing that. Um, I uh, want to encourage our listeners again, if you are interested in learning, what is this Blue Ridge Institute they keep talking about? Go to blueridgeleaders.org and learn a little bit about the organization. It is, um, I'm not going to take the time here. You can go back, um, go back a few episodes. In fact, I'll give you the exact episode. Go back to episode 36 on our podcast and hear from uh, this year's Blue Ridge president. We talked all about the Blue Ridge Institute. So let me refer you back to that. Let me also thank um, Leadership Systems very quickly for their sponsorship of this program. I'm an adjunct coach at Leadership Systems Incorporated out of High Point, North Carolina. Uh, They're the group that certified me in leadership coaching. Dr. Jim Smith is on our advisory board here, and he is my coach, mentor, and trainer. Been on our program now a couple of times. Uh, so go back and listen to those, but, uh, thank you for, um, all the folks at LSI for doing that. Ladies, thank you. I'm, this is truly inspiring. I really could just, I could go on and on and on with this. This is, this is the kind of rich stuff. And, um, I learned from it. I'm inspired by every single one of you and what you do, not just that you created this neat capital expansion, but just what you, every day I'm, I'm amazed by the work that you do. And Lilana, you're right. This is three incredible leaders that um, I think everybody needs to hear from and a lot of people are benefiting from. So thank you for that. Thank you, Patrick. Um, Folks, go back and listen to this episode again. This was a good one. In the meantime, lead on. 